Our people been through all kinds of turmoil, our collective history, and it's incredible that 2024 we still have a language, a language is intact and is beautiful and as Ojibwe, you know, it's incredible that our people were able to, in spite of all of those forces, you know, here we are, we still have our language. Bonjour, hello, welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leo Lem. I'm Cole Primo. Miigwech for joining us today. Native Lights is more than a podcast and radio show, of course. At its core, it's a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Each and every week we have great conversations with a lot of guests who have a lot of different backgrounds, and we're talking uh, musicians, artists, doctors, language warriors, all that good stuff, and they have a wonderful mix of passions, and we talk to them about their gifts and how they share their gifts with the community and a big part of the show is just finding purpose in our lives and also amplifying native voices so leah what's up how you doing i'm good cole how are you great you know just chilling just grinding yeah doing the grind yeah yeah that's always good you know keep pressing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. keep pushing Yes, same. You know, it's that, I feel like that's that time of life, that phase where it's like always on, always going. It's one thing or another. Mm -hmm. Until there's moments where you just want to turn off everything and just be like, nah, nah, nah. (laughs) I did that for a couple minutes today. Let it all just. I'm just going to lay in the dark. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. Just a quick sensory deprivation moment (laughs) hey every now and then i like to go in those sensory deprivation tanks those are actually pretty pretty cool you feel like an alien just floating in a vast waving pool of salt water warm salt water anyways i don't we don't need to get into that (laughs) uh you do that for real i find it comforting put on a little bit of you know like synth music background and just kind of because you know, wow. I I got screens all over the place. I'm I'm constantly stimulating my brain. I feel like it. I listen to things and watch TV and do things at the same time, multitask. And every now and then, I just need to cut it all off and just be like, let's just focus mm-hmm. on you know yourself and putting all that stuff away. Anyways, Leah, <laughs> let's let's not talk about that anymore. I hear you got something cool. Cool on the way. Oh, yes. So mm-hmm. I will be presenting. I'll be a presenter, a speaker at the TEDx Silver Lake up in Virginia. So nice. I'm just putting this out there because there are some cool speakers going. The theme is crossing the divide, which I think is a really lovely topic of conversation, really lovely theme. And Mm-hmm. I am looking forward to it. It's coming up in February, February 23rd. Again, Virginia, TEDx Silver Lake. You know, it, it looked like something cool to apply to. I, had, I have a couple things on my mind that I'd like to share. Yeah. So why not? Why not go for it? Very good. Very good. Can't wait to can't wait to hear the updates and try to find a way to get my name mentioned in TED Talk. <laughs> Cole Primo. <laughs> <laughs> Just over. <laughs> anyway. But you know, let's uh, let's get on to the guest today. How about it? 
This week, we're very excited to speak with our guest, Michael Migazi Sullivan Sr., PhD. Now, technically, he lives in northwestern Wisconsin, yes, but he's also very well known for his work in Minnesota, particularly in the Mille Lacs area. Michael currently works as the faculty director of Native American Studies at the Lacoudere Ojibwe College on his home reservation of Lacoudere. Michael earned his doctorate in linguistics at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities, woot woot, represent, and he <laughs> worked under the tutelage of the late Larry Amick Smallwood, as we all know and love, as well as Dr. John Nichols. Amick was Michael's main Ojibwemoan consultant, and Michael recently released a book called Plums or Nuts that uh, features 25 stories from Amick in both Ojibwe and English. Definitely can't wait to hear more about that, his work with Ojibwe language, just his experiences with Amick, uh, and a lot more. So here he is. Boujou, Michael. Hey, Yanni. I'm zooming in from my phone. Hey, that's good. All right. So, Buju Migazi, could you please start by introducing yourself and uh, telling us all that good stuff? How Buju Dinaway Maganadug Migazi Indigenous Kanegu Oma Dawza Gaiganing Indun Juba Minwa Migazi Indudim. So, my name is Michael Sullivan. I'm better known as my Ojibwe name, Migazi. And I come from the Lakudere Ojibwe Reservation or Dawza Gaiganing, as we say in our language. And I'm a member of our Eagle Clan, the Gizzi Dodeim. Currently reside here on a reservation in a village called Skunawong. <laughs> and uh, I'm about three miles away from my place of work, which is the Lakudere Ojibwe University. So I teach our language courses over there. We'll definitely ask about uh, your work at Lakudere. And first off, I want to ask, you know, how your family's doing? How are you doing? We're doing good. You know, we're keeping really busy. We just got back from... Uh, we know we're a family of singers. Our family, I got uh, four children. We all sing and dance, uh, powwow style and round dance. And it's round dance season now. So this past weekend, we were down in Shakopee. Me and my youngest son were singing there and uh, our daughter. And then my oldest boy, Niju, he's the lead singer at Hay Creek Drum Group. And they had a host drum or invited drum singing gig over in uh, Milwaukee. So they went that way. And then my second oldest boy is a baller he's a basketball player so he had a basketball game saturday I had to stay home that's good though keep it keep you out of trouble when you stay busy they say <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's good to hear i like that so michael is there anything that's on your mind lately most of us would say that it's weird outside right and um i went out probably about four or five days ago and i felt like sugar bush weather already and it's you know very <laughs> 20 something so yeah that's definitely weird and we go hard on the <clears throat> maple sugaring and uh, the walleye uh the spring spearing and netting stuff you know we get into that around here and all that's conditioned by our climate you know our environment and the rice and everything so it's definitely a weird feeling for Anishinaabe that stay close to our harvests you know the warmer warmer seasons definitely stretching back into the earlier months and then pushing further out into the fall too you know it's racing later than we typically do too so. you recently released a book could you talk about plums or nuts and just how it all began you know if plums are nuts i'd be what you might consider the editor of that so <laughs> plums are nuts is a collection of stories told by a mick you know the late larry small with a mick and he was a 
dear friend of mine for years and uh, sort of mentor to me before even, you know, I, I could speak Ojibwe or any of that. But he was a good friend of mine from the Powwow Trail, and he worked here at La Couturier at our school, and so we were real good friends. When I started getting into language stuff, he was real excited to kind of take me under his wing. And Plums Are Nuts is a collection of his stories that he told me, you know, that I recorded, recorded him telling. And they're all just short, little humorous, silly kind of stories about his life. We'd meet, you know, once or twice a week, and we'd hang out and work on words. He'd teach me words or songs. He'd tell a story or two. I'd record it. Then I'd go uh, type it up, bring it back to him, and try to read it back to him and check it with him and make sure it sounded, you know, good or whatever. Yeah, so we probably recorded together over the span of about six or seven years, once or twice a week. And I uh, transcribed, you know, all the stories and uh, roughed out the translations and I worked on the sort of final translations with him on the majority of the stories. And then he, then he passed away on us in uh, 2017 and that kind of put that work on hold. You know, I couldn't, uh, couldn't really get at it too much. We were pretty close and that was pretty hard. So I put it away. And then uh, a couple of years ago, the lady from the press reached out and said, hey, do you still got that book you're working on with the Mick? You know, kind of reminded me about it because we had reached out to the press prior to his passing. And I said, yeah, I do. And I had a few things left to finish, like the glossary and the, the introduction piece I wrote and all that. But uh, we got it into shape and put it out this fall. But if you go to the Ojibwe People's Dictionary online, the, the cool site that the university houses, it's right on the homepage, you know, so you can scroll down on the homepage and there's the audio, all 25 stories. So you can click on the play button and read along and hear a Mick telling the stories, which is the real treat, you know, and it's accessible and free to everybody in the world to hear that. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Michael Sullivan, Sr., who earned his doctorate in linguistics at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities, both a learner and teacher of the Ojibwe language, and is currently the faculty director at Le Couture Ojibwe College in northwestern Wisconsin. Yeah, I really enjoy this. I know I've heard a couple of these stories from our dad's point of view before, because I, I messaged my dad, Bill Primo, our dad, sorry. Yeah. And we're like, are you in here? Are you in this book? He's like, yep. And I'm like, I won't say which stories. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yep. And I got to work with your dad on, you know, some of those other book projects. And he had, you know, mm -hmm. some, some versions there. And he, yeah, he, he would bring that up a lot. My versions are the right ones. Or he just <laughs> made that part up for easy. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, thanks for this. It's just really beautiful. Yeah. And then like the the final like plums or nuts coming up with the word um whether it's plums or nuts in the prayer. It's classic. <laughs> when he first started telling the story, you know, he starts off doing funerals is really hard or whatever. Sitting there listening to him, like, where's he going with this? Like he's never ever told me a serious story and you know why is he doing it now because every you know he wanted us to learn the humor and every time we sat down it was always you know real playful insults or jokes or little one-liners or you know just how to talk Ojibwe with an attitude you know that was a mixed basic clinic every time and he started off with this 
funeral story. It's just like, man, and then he gets to the punchline and it's like, OMG, you know, there's nothing off limits for this guy. You know? uh, yeah. <laughs> and it really kind of sums up the Anishinaabe humor, you know, where it's, it's, uh, it's such a huge part of the medicine. You know, that we be, mm-hmm. we're, we're lovingly in, insulting to one another. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping to ask about the humor in the language. And do you mind maybe recapping like the punchline of that story or, you know, a bit of like the language play and how it's just so funny? Yeah. So I guess with Plums or Nuts, you know, it's, he was telling the story of how he had to learn how to do that, send our relatives down that path that they go to. Part of that story, part of those instructions include all their little stopping points and at every stop, you know, they eat different things along the path. And so to make a long story short, he gets to the last stop as he's narrating the the travel of the departed. And uh, he needs to tell him that he's going to stop and eat plums. And he, he can't remember the word for plums. And the two words that come to mind are bagesanag, which is plums. And the other one's boganag, which are nuts, you know, typically peanuts. <laughs> So he gets to that part and he's talking and anybody who's ever talked for anything in Ojibwe culture knows the amount of pressure that you're under, right? Um, you got tobacco in your hand and you got everybody watching and listening and then something as, ser- as serious as a funeral, you know, where you can't get any more difficult than that. And actually that's how he starts the story, right? It's the most difficult thing you'll have to do. So he gets to the part where he needs to say, is it where they eat the plums and he can't, he doesn't know the word. So he ends the story saying, I don't know what I fed him. You know, did I feed him plums at that stop or did I feed him nuts? <laughs> did I say it right? <laughs> there you go. You heard it here. No, and that kind of brings me to the you know, my next question. Just like what inspired you to do the work that you do and like lifting up, you know, these language learners, you know, getting into linguistics? Yeah, good question. So I tell everybody I was supposed to be a lawyer. I was supposed to be rich. I was studying for the LSAT and I was going to go to law school. I was going to go to University of Wisconsin law school down in Madison. I was in this uh, graduate prep program during my undergrad that was kind of like a take your hand and walk you to graduate school thing. And so I was, you know, dead set on going to law school and make a lot of money. My Uncle Harold ended up passing away. So one of my main elders, one of the main guys in our community that gave names to our babies and that talked for our feasts and you know, kind of officiated over all these little things that we needed done as a community. And when you have old people in your life like that, that do that, you sort of, you take that for granted, you know, and when you start to lose those people and it just seemed like boom, 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 one after another, we started losing them. You know, I was a young, uh, young father with little kids and active participant in our, our ceremonial drum life. And we grew up around that way of life. And, when we lost him, man, I was just like, holy man, what are we going to do? You know, and here I was in school, able-bodied, young dude, learning. And, you know, I, I knew more Ojibwe at that time than my peers, most of my peers, you know, just because I paid attention, listened over the years. But no way could I talk Ojibwe very well at all. <laughs> and uh, it was just that, all that happening, you know, and experiencing that loss and that woke something up man it's like holy crap like i realized that we don't do something man i'm i'm young enough to be able to 
witness it go away and never, you know, never get it back. So that was, uh, changed my whole past, man. And so instead of going into grad school, I started looking at programs and linguistics kept popping up. And I had a professor, I had a couple of professors uh, doing, during my undergrad, I went to UWS and Superior and I had a couple of professors that were into anthropology and linguistics, sociology and that kind of stuff. They gave me stuff to read, stuff to think about, because I always had questions about it. So then I started thinking, like, man, you know, if I got into linguistics, what could I do? You know, what kind of effort could I make? And then I realized it'd be one way to work with elders and one way to ask elders all my questions. <laughs> you know, so I got to be really, uh, really close with elders. And that's one thing you come to find uh, in language work. Once you start doing language work, you know, your circle kind of changes a little bit. Your friends get older <laughs> and uh, you get close to the elders, man. Like, you know, some of these elders are my best friends I ever had in my life. And so it's hard, hard line of work to get into, but oh, it's so uh, rewarding and uh, important, you know, such an important thing to do. And I tell my students that too, like, you know, you can do anything with language, man. You don't have to box yourself into this job or that job. You speak Ojibwe, man, game over. You know, you got the job, whatever one you want, you know. That's just the power, the power of our language and what it does to us, you know, personally. Yeah, I think that's all a big, big sort of big picture kind of thing, you know, like the creator's got plans for us and paths for us. And we, we try our best to find that path or follow follow that path when we find it. And things work out in ways that man never would imagine. But at the same time, they work out in ways that are easier way easier than following a path that wasn't put there for us you know kind of got <laughs> wheel our way through that one but yeah it was i think it was all meant to be and the way it worked out was just uh you know beautifully perfect when i first started linguistics and i was walking around the hallways you know i didn't really know nobody and i didn't have any background in linguistics or <laughs> so i was kind of clueless guy in class even it was a rough kind of start and one of those first days wandering around aimlessly, I seen a flyer in the hallway in the basement of Scott Hall that said, well, community Ojibwe language table, it's not by Wednesday night, small urban office, you know, six to eight potluck. It's like, I'm there, you know. <laughs> Went and got a couple packs of Marble Lights and showed up and I never missed one of his classes, you know, you'd taught all over the place. I'd go all over check out his classes, answers, or ask my questions of them, you know. So, yeah, doing that, that, you know, got me closer to elders and the, the places I needed to be at the time I needed to be there, you know. So it's, if I could do it all over again, I probably wouldn't change the thing, man. It's too good. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Michael Sullivan Sr., who earned his doctorate in linguistics at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. He's a teacher of the Ojibwe language and currently is the faculty director at the Lacoudere Ojibwe College in northwestern Wisconsin. So as you shifted from, you know, learning the language to eventually teaching language and doing that, what are some things you've learned teaching others? And, and are there better approaches to teaching it now as opposed to you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago? Yeah, for sure. 
Well, first thing to answer a question, I'm still learning. Like I'll never, ever be done learning. And I think when it comes to language, that's just how it goes. And no matter what language, and I think even for your own first language, right, for English, I don't think I'm done learning there either. I'm always acquiring things and learning how to fancy up my emails. When it comes to teaching Ojibwe, yeah, I'd say there's a new generation. There's a new sort of approach to it where it's real communicative based, but structurally supported. So what I mean by that is a lot of times we would do grammar for Ojibwe and wouldn't focus on any speaking. So you could take a whole year or two of Ojibwe classes and you know grammar rules and you know what to put here and there, but you never had that practice time to use it. You never had any sort of spontaneous demand to put it to use, right? Or you'd have to create with the language in a communicative sort of setting. So we sort of added that in there in the modern Ojibwe classroom where you're, if you follow the model I do, I teach them how to say stuff and then kind of explain why once it's built into their speech already, right? So the, the goal is definitely oral output and communicative language ability is the goal. But with a language so drastically different from English, you have to have some sort of supplemented structure stuff. Otherwise, students have a hard time making sense of it in the, the reading and writing side. So, yeah, I try to make the classes fun and engaging. And for learning it, you know, you got to have that motivation. You got to have that need to know it or that, uh, that feeling, that connection to it, to know it, that responsibility to it, that obligation kind of thing. And typically the ones that hang out in those ceremonial spaces or those harvest spaces, attend those drums and those lodges where, you, where that language is you know everything, you know. Those are usually the ones who get involved the fastest and excel the fastest. It's a real, real special kind of thing that we're doing because our people been through all kinds of turmoil, chaos with our collective history and sort of horrific experience we've had as a people. And it's incredible that in 2024, we still have a language and a language is intact and is beautiful. And as Ojibwe, you know, it's incredible that our people were able to, in spite of all of those forces, you know, here we are, we still have our language. And I remind my students of that because it's so easy to sulk in our own loss. It's so easy to beat ourselves up and take the easy road or the path of least resistance. But, you know, you think about all those ones like Mick and Norman and Jim and all of that, you know, maintain that in spite of everything else and held on to it just long enough so they could pass the torch on to the next generation. You know, it's like, man. Like when, it, when it's like that, you know, you, you want to do something for it. You get up in the morning and you make that your mission. And I'm a big advocate for setting goals, you know, for our people, for our youth, for our students. Setting goals and real immediate sort of reachable goals and then always a reset. So telling my language students that, you know, like when I got into it, I just wanted to get the jokes, man. I, I wanted to know what everybody was laughing at. You know, I think in a million years I'd be the one that'd be able to talk. But as soon as I got the jokes and I kind of reset the goals, you know, and each other experience, you 
kind of reevaluate, reassess. But if we're not setting goals for ourselves, and that's where we get stuck in those ruts, and that's where we don't make progress, and we just kind of go with the flow, status quo. Kind of for some people, you know, that it's not enough. We feel the need, we got to do more. And yeah, so I think with that that whole experience we've had with colonization and all that, it's we come to the table with baggage, man, and we come to learn our language, and we all carry some of that insecurity and they say that trauma's in our DNA and so when it comes to language learners and language class you know you got to know how to navigate that and you got to know how to create that safe sort of environment for your learners and that's what we try to do you know so it's a it's a practice field kind of thing and this is the space where you're you're almost expected to say it wrong and that's okay you know because you gotta say it you're gonna say it wrong a hundred times before you ever say it right and you might as well say it wrong in here and that out there <laughs> may not be a, such a supportive safe space so I try to get that point across to my students too you know because you got some real gung-ho ones that might put pressure on the other ones so I try to make it uh, accessible for everybody and you know loving kind of experience I don't want anybody having additional trauma from Ojibwe class you know <laughs> messing with messing with their anxiety from Ojibwe class like I want it to be cool for them, you know, something they enjoy and reconnect to and hopefully set them up for a lifelong journey of learning it. You know. That's great. Thank you so much. I know we could speak all day. I really want to ask you like 10,000 more questions, but we must kind of start to wrap it up. I was just curious about, do you have any like future projects that you're looking forward to? Well, we have a... um a series of grants we've received at our university and we're building a native teacher program and part of the native teacher program includes a Ojibwe immersion track for immersion teachers that are looking for licensure for K-9. So it's a real unique and special sort of collaboration we're doing with the Midwest Indigenous Immersion Network, the MEAN Network. And the whole program is going to be sort of zoomable, available via distance ed. So we're targeting our sort of main focus area where our university serves, our service area, but also kind of that immersion network that's out there now. So you're starting to see more and more immersion schools popping up, more immersion classrooms popping up, pre-K efforts and such. So really, really trying to provide the training in the way that hasn't been provided before. So that's a, a major one that we're working on. And that's not just me, but a whole team of us at the university and me that are putting that together, hopefully with a fall 24 launch. So this coming fall. And then uh, we also just collaborated with the University of Hawaii at Hilo and the University of Alaska Southeast. And we're awarded by Congress, the National Native American Language Resource Center Award. So we're creating a a website and sort of how-to guide series of professional developments for language teachers nationwide in this sort of collaborative effort with these big universities. So real exciting stuff going on that way, you know, and then of course I'm, uh, I tell winter stories in the winter time, so I'm a little busy this time of year telling stories and then powwow singer slash MC in the summer. So never, never a dull moment. But I am working on another book, and the book is a autobiography of sorts, a historical autobiography. So that should be cool and different. 
Oh my gosh, she's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Insightful, funny. Super smart. Yeah. Yeah, just it yeah, it's lovely to hear more about a Mick. Always, a bun. So uh to Michael Migazi Sullivan Sr., lifelong student of the Ojibwe language, father, husband, ceremonial drum keeper of the Ojibwe powwow MC, storyteller, and teacher of the Ojibwe language. We're always learning every day. I'm Colt Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Gigawabamin. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.